Hi, everyone. This is Sports Matters, uh, November 12th, 2013. Joined by Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. This might be the quickest episode of Sports Matters we've ever had. Just to let you know, uh, we got a little sideways on the other program, but that gives you more incentive to listen to the other program, doesn't it? I, I thought it was a funny sideways, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, by the way, if you want to contact this program, it's simple to do. At Sports Matters on Twitter. Also, radio at sportsmatters.info, radio at sportsmatters.info. Uh, you may catch me on the Sports Matters Twitter, tweeting about games from time to time, uh, like tomorrow night, from the uh, USC Upstate Winthrop basketball game. You'll you'll see me there, but we also tweet about the program. So, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, unless... I mean, so, so the game you're covering, is that part of the tip-off marathon? Uh, it is not, but it almost seems as though it should be because, <laughs> you know, it, it, the the tip-off marathon thing, I have to admit, I kind of laugh at it. It's it's like I said last night, the, the beat writer in me feels horrible for my colleagues who have to hit a deadline, uh, but the insomniac in me loves it. So... <laughs> I kind of, is that a job where it would be acceptable to wear the pajama jeans we were talking about at the other show? Uh, you know, that's that's a great idea. And I don't understand why some of these schools that played really late last night wouldn't have had like a pajama theme night or something like that. That would have made too much sense. You know, I mean, sometimes the ideas just write themselves, Brian. I can just see it now, the 7 a.m. game down at Florida Gulf Coast. You walk in the media room, and there's, like, mimosas in there and, you know, hangover helper and whatever, whatever else in there. Space section for the students. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing I was going to say is, since we have so little time on this program, can we spend a lot of it talking about, oh, my God, it's 11, 12, 13 today? Oh, oh but not just that. I, I got the thing about earlier today how somebody took a screenshot of how it was – 11, 12, 13 at 14, 15, 16. Yeah, I saw that as well. And then, of I course... I was impressed. Yeah, and there's there's the... But we have one more chance to do this, and that's it. We have 12, 13, 14, and then it's over. We'll never get to do it again. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, if you want our response to that, take the name of this program and take the sports part off of it. Well put. Uh, by the way, uh, we should probably talk about the Sixer briefly at some point because that is a part of the program. However, uh, two of the games I was thinking about putting on the Sixer this week are going on tonight as we're live. Uh, good thing I didn't because the two games right now that are taking place, the winning teams are outscoring the losing teams by a combined score of 86 to 13. So you're saying they're nail biters. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. That's, that's totally what I'm saying. Uh, okay. we, sh- we should talk, by the way, uh, speaking of college football, let's just get into it because, you know, what the hell, let's let's just go ahead and talk about some of the games that are coming up this weekend and some of the stuff that happened last weekend. Uh, this weekend, some of the important games, Thursday, which this game might wind up in our picks, we'll see Georgia Tech plus 10.5 at Clemson. Georgia Tech finds themselves somehow leading the Coastal Division, which is more like the cluster division in the ACC. We've had three different leaders of that division in the last three weeks between Miami, Virginia Tech, and now Georgia Tech. Well, you know, uh, at least Paul Jones is not having any success this year since everyone's fired. (laughs) 
Yeah, see, that's the thing I don't get. I was also laughing earlier today because I was listening in on some of the uh, – well, not listening in on it as it happened, but some of the uh, the Dabo Sweeney presser, and he was giving the same standard you know spiel that you always hear in these dumb pressers about how, oh, are we, we have talented opponents, and they're going to challenge us, and they're going to make us do things that we're not comfortable with, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it sounds kind of like either you're previewing a game or you're previewing a, a date with Ben Roethlisberger, but – uh, there, he's talking about the game. I was more asking if he was talking about pledging fraternity. Well, yeah, that too. Doing things they were uncomfortable with. But sounds in, terrible. In uh, in talking about the game, my whole thing is, if you're just going to talk about this game and talk about everything around it, all you have to say is Brent Venables is lining up a lot of eight in the box and single safety looks. That's all you have to say about Georgia Tech. The rest of it, just leave it be. It's well, it, it the thing is though is. I mean, cliche sentiment, yes, but at the same time, with Georgia Tech especially, look, they can't they can't be in a position to fall behind early because their offense is very much not geared to support any sort of comeback. Um, and with sure. Clemson's offense, look, they just get a few early scores and the game's pretty much over. Yeah, and see, this is a really bad matchup at a particularly bad time for this team. I, I don't like Georgia Tech going into Clemson on Thursday night. That's, I mean, it's it's never easy period, but it's really never easy when you're going in there on a Thursday night, you're the only show in town. Uh, something else, too, that a lot of people don't know if they've not been to that area, they're not opening the uh, parking lots and the tailgate stuff for Clemson until 2 o'clock on Thursday, so people are going to have to get in you know, some rally drinking sessions. It's never easy to play in Clemson as it is, but when people only have five and a half hours or so to get hammered instead of the requisite eight you know, it's going to be a little bit, a little bit uh, tougher atmosphere. A little more bingy, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's going to be some uh, some boot and rally going on. So, I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> despite the fact that they put it on the sweet ten and a half number, which is never any fun, I'm going to take Clemson. Uh, yeah, I, I like Clemson a lot in that game too. Uh, no over under in that game yet, but so be it. Uh, Friday night, UCLA with Miles Jack doing whatever he does, running for touchdowns, tackling people, all that. Uh, they are minus two and a half hosting Washington. You know, I mean, that's the Pac-12 has been another interesting conference just with the way that teams have kind of been up and down in the sense of, uh, you know, national consciousness, especially early in the year. You know, UCLA, I mean, they, it was a great start for them. And then Washington, you know, they were kind of hyped. Maybe like Sarkis finally pushed the next level. And I don't know. I mean, do you really believe in anyone out of the Pac-12? I mean, beyond Stanford at this point, especially with the way that they they really dominated or for most of the game. Uh, that's that's another thing too. And talking about that game, and we don't have a lot of time to break it down, obviously. But Stanford almost completed the most epic crapping of the bed I've ever seen from any top twenty team uh, against Oregon. They they still managed to win the game, but it uh, it got very ugly very quickly. Uh, yeah, the the Pac-10 or Pac-12, I still call them Pac-10. Pac-12. I know, I do too. Uh, it, it kind of concerns me, and I, I really have to laugh at all those Oregon people who had the "We Want Bama" T-shirts. And now, uh, yeah, the no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody wants Bama. It's it's very simple. Make all the shirts you want, but Roll time, baby. nobody wants Roll Bama. Time. Right, and that's you know, but obviously you got to believe your team is the best team. Um, I just, I don't know, the Pac-12, it's still, it seems like it's not quite back to where it, it thinks it should be. You yeah, know, I'm not saying not where it should be, but I'm saying where it thinks it should be. 
The funny thing is, too, you look at how Stanford kind of stands out in that conference. You've got all these high-flying offensive teams and all these teams that throw it all over the yard. And then you got Stanford, who you know relies on the power running attack and uh, you know lines up offensive linemen, you know nine on the line, and has has a, a single setback with a quarterback. I mean, it's completely not like anything else in that conference. Yeah, what's with this fullback thing they're doing? It's crazy. <laughs> um, I formation? How nineteen sixty five of them? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, but out of that game. I'm interested. I'm kind of surprised at the number, though, just because you know, you know that the home team gets three, and UCLA getting two and a half. So I guess they, you know, the books actually consider Washington the better team by half a point. Uh, probably, and you know, with uh, with UCLA's injuries, I guess I could kind of buy that. But you're still you're playing in LA. You've got you know still a uh, you know by by most accounts a top twenty team. Unless you listen to Vegas, they don't really buy them, but. You know, it's a pretty good club, and Sarkeesian's club has uh, been <laughs> subpar. I guess that's fair to say over the past few weeks. Yeah, it's it's been it's been definitely a little bit of a fall from them since their since their hotter starts. So I'll take UCLA. I mean, two and a half is not a bad number to, to to be swallowing there. I mean, just a field goal can cover. An interesting game with an interesting line. You have somehow still ranked Miami with uh, no Duke Johnson for the rest of the year. They're left with Dallas Crawford to carry the running attack. They are traveling to Wallace Wade Stadium at Duke. Duke has seven wins. I have no idea how the hell they've managed to pull that off. They got over the six-win plateau where they got stuck last year. But Duke has seven wins, trying to get to eight. They still have a shot somehow to backdoor a Coastal Division championship if they win out and get another loss elsewhere. But Duke is only a three-point dog to Miami after Miami was pretty much a lock to be in Charlotte for most of the year. That's uh, kind of an amazing thing to think about that you managed to use backdoor and Duke in the same sentence and far enough removed from the lacrosse scandal that it's okay. Yeah, or I'm, lacrosse, whatever. My apologies. Uh, I can't really talk. Um, <laughs> it's not my strength. Why am I hosting a show? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so it's that, that's just one of those – look, I don't care how good the team actually is. The idea of Duke being a three-point dog to Miami is just one that just doesn't doesn't compute. Can you imagine if we look back at the end of the year and we say 10-win Duke or 11-win Duke? No. Really can't imagine that. It's still one of those things where I see the Duke highlights and just think, like, oh, that's right. They have a football team. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it kind of happens. They've been such an afterthought for so long. Uh, which speak- is why the coaching job done by David Cutcliffe is amazing. Speaking, by the way, of afterthoughts, uh, another ACC game. Maryland started out this year like a house of fire. They were 4-0 and uh, looked as though they were going to finally resurrect the football program that they haven't really had any success with since Ralph Fridgen was forced out. But then they've lost four of their next five, three of their last four, and in the three straight losses they've had, they've been outscored 94-40. to They, uh, <laughs> they scored, or actually I should say, they've scored uh, 13 plus points per game against ACC competition. They've gained 150 less yards a game against ACC competition than against non-ACC competition. Now they travel to Blacksburg where they're a 15-point dog against Virginia Tech. Those are a lot of negative trends you decided, Brian. I don't know if... <laughs> uh, how am I supposed to feel good about, about backing them? You shouldn't. It's okay if you don't. 
yeah, you seem like you were casually suggesting that maybe there's a certain way this pick should go. <laughs> Don't let me but, influence you. No, I mean, you know, look, uh, unfortunately, uh, Under Armour cannot supply new players in the middle of a season. <laughs> so that's a bummer. And, uh, you know, when you're down to, what was it, the wide, was it wide receivers that moved to quarterback? Or a was linebacker. It a linebacker? Yeah, it was a linebacker. Um, that's not, uh, not going to be good for your running your offense, I don't think. I mean... Look, sometimes people end up being defensive coaches and switching over to offense because they can think of it in a different way and allows them to be innovative. It doesn't really apply when it comes to just like, hey, we're going to move this linebacker over to QB and it's going to be a great fit. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I've taken Virginia Tech and not looking back. I mean, we've talked about Maryland a few times this year in the, the hot start and we talked, did we believe it? No, we said we both did not believe it because they didn't play anybody. Maryland played a game, I believe it was two weeks ago, where – they were without their starting quarterback, their starting running back, and both starting wide receivers. Is that a problem? <laughs> yeah, matters. Um, yeah. Coach Gilmer <laughs> says run the ball anyway, so why do you need wide receivers? Two suddenly resurgent teams, North Carolina and Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, the, the more notable because they're coming off a win against Notre Dame. Which, uh, you know, I, I find it means hilarious. It was on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I find it hilarious because, A, it was the, the primetime game on Saturday. It had the 8 o'clock window Eastern. And uh, plus, it showed that Notre Dame's fraud, as we all pretty much imagined. But this game is a straight pick 'em with no Bryn Renner for North Carolina. He's out for the year. Marquise Williams quarterbacking for Carolina after Carolina uh, throttled the grossly underachieving Virginia Cavaliers in Chapel Hill last week. You know, I mean, we've talked about a lot of these ACC teams, and so many of them can be characterized as as disappointing overall for the year. Yeah, you know, true. I mean, and that's that's the thing is, you know, you hear about these guys going down, and you think, well, this wasn't really that great to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to this though one one shocking statistic, and I'm I, I will, you know, I, I don't mind spoiling my ACC preview piece. This this will be <gasps> in my ACC preview piece to uh, pull back the curtain a little bit, there is still the potential, now granted, not the likelihood, but the potential of 13 bowl-eligible teams from the ACC. That's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Yes. The only one that is out of contention is Virginia. They they were eliminated quickly. Uh, NC State has six losses, so they can't lose again. But if they went out, they could get to 6-6, six and six, become bowl-eligible. You've got a bunch of teams right now, I think three, with five wins and uh, three more, I believe, with four. That's a lot of athletic departments losing money to go to a lower-tier bowl, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you know, these matchups in in the ACC really kind of feel like flip a coin. I mean, Pittsburgh's at home. They're coming off a big win. So if there ever is anything, something like momentum, you'd expect to see it in a situation like this. Um but again, I don't think either of these teams are quite good enough for that that to be a deciding factor. But still, I'll go with pitch just because they're at home. One of those five-win teams in the ACC is part of the biggest line of the week, believe it or not. Do they get an award? <laughs> they get our undying affection and whatever else. Uh, Syracuse plus 39 at Florida State. You know, I mean... It- for every question we've had of Florida State this year, uh, they answered it and then some. Uh, yeah, they've uh, uh, they've given us the finger a couple of times. Yeah, you know what? That's that's great. I'm I'm happy to admit that. And Jameis Winston has been everything uh, he was supposed to be, and that team has been uh, amazing and and you know been able to 
we talked about them having great athletic ability, but they're uh, they're executing, and I mean the numbers bear that out. And you know, even if Ohio State could wipe the floor with them, which was wow, that was a smart <laughs> comment, wasn't it? And Mr. Spencer up there in Columbus, yes, was smart dude. Love it when your coach comes out saying, "I can't stand things like that." <laughs> That bodes, you know, somehow I'm guessing that, you, I mean, he was already fourth on his team in receiving yards. You think his targets are going up? Uh, no. Uh, he's going to get Belichick is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but, I mean, I, I promised you one time I was going to forget exactly what I was talking about. It was. <laughs> we were talking about Florida State. Yeah. So with Florida State, I mean, you know, we we have raised lots of questions about them. They've answered every one. Uh, they have more questions about me is my ability to host a podcast uh, or co-host a podcast, <laughs> I should say. I don't think I've answered those very well. So, you know, all the Florida State uh, hate letters that, uh, you know, we don't get, uh, I, I deserve them. Yes. Uh, those of you in Tallahassee, sharpen your crayons. Send them to mm-hmm. to uh, Ed Barnes <laughs> at blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I 39 though is just such a ridiculous number to have to to deal with. I mean, yeah, I mean, the the thing though that that kind of I, I see that number and I'm kind of with you. I, I think that's a little bit of a large margin. However, when you consider they hung 63 on Maryland and 51 on Clemson, anything's possible. No, I'm not saying that it's not possible for them to cover it. I'm just saying that it's never fun to swallow 39 points. True, true. I mean, that's that's uh, that takes a lot of stones. Now you kind of wonder if somebody's sitting there at the uh, you know at the window and they're like, "How much is to tease it down to 37 and a half?" Right. Just Wait. give me a couple points. That's all I think is going to make the difference here. <laughs> now, normally, if you were going to be betting a spread that big, that was those were the kind of spreads that were reserved for Tom Osborne's teams in like the early '90s when they'd go out and play their terrible non-conference opponents. So, wait, are you saying that Tom Osborne was a gambler? Now, are we inserting some kind of scandal here? Nope, not saying that at all. <laughs> to say that he happened to be coaching those teams and they ran the option all the time, and because they were running their offense when they got up by so many points, that was the same thing they did all the time. They kept scoring at ridiculous rates, <laughs> and they also always played one of the worst non-conference schedules possible because they said, "Look, we'll just go ahead and collect those wins. Thank you very much, and go about our business." So, what you're saying is they were like the Georgetown basketball of college football were favored by something if they if it didn't make it to 60 it was in at least the high 50s when they played at the university of pacific in stockton california now they don't have a football program anymore out there right which tells you about what kind of matchup that really was i forget what school it was earlier this year but there was one school that was hosting an fcs program and they were favored by 67 and a half <laughs> why even bother uh you got me i mean it and see, you know that there was at least one person that put money on that. You're like, yeah, I'll take this team plus a 67 and a half. There's no way in hell. That's, that's really kind of amazing that, you know, someone would look at that and think, yeah, I'm good with that. I think that's going to be okay. I think the 67, that's a manageable number. They probably have 70 to 80 in them. And, uh, and yeah, we're good. Speaking, by the way, of teams ravaged by injury, we were talking about that earlier. There's this Florida plus thirteen and a half in Columbia against South Carolina this weekend. Florida might be playing without quarterback Tyler Murphy as if they needed more injuries. Now, can you? I mean, Florida has just been such a disaster this year. Yes, in pretty much every way possible. Injuries, just horrifically bad offensive team. Uh, 
you know, not even the son of Fred Taylor can save them. <laughs> and, you know, Will Muschamp was greeted with such a, uh, uh, you know, fanfare when he was hired. It's like, oh, this is going to be a great hire, and this is going to be a guy that's, that's going to be able to bring the program back. And, man, it just has not happened for him there. No, and they're already talking about getting rid of him and bringing in, uh, you know, Tim DeRuiter or bringing Charlie Strong back there or whatever it is they decide to do. But the uh, the bloom is off the rose with Will Muschamp. And the, the thing is, I, I think that you're seeing this at a lot of colleges around America. You can be an a-hole and be disliked by your players and disliked by the media as long as you win. When you mm-hmm. don't, that's when things start to go nuts. Now, Florida, they are last in the SEC in total offense. If you had said that, back when Steve Spurrier used to coach there. Can you ever imagine saying that Florida would be last in total offense? No. No, I can't. I really couldn't imagine saying that at all. Um, it's It's been hard for me to watch. I have a couple, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a couple of friends of ours that went to University of Florida. Um, I should say friends of mine and, and my girlfriends, and they went to University of Florida, and of course they watch all the games and whatnot. And you know, usually they'll they'll have us over and we'll watch a game at their place each year or something like that. And this year it's like, you know what? I I, I just pulled my groin or something. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm going to make it over for the Florida game. Maybe I'll come over later. Um, I don't think I can sit through that right now. I don't need a nap. It'll mess up my night of sleep. I mean, I could use any number of excuses, but it's like, no, I can't do that. I've tried watching a few series of games that they play, and it it was just really, really difficult. Well, let's let's just further illuminate Florida because uh, there there are some other games that uh, really are not worth covering. So we'll talk about this game because there is a little more juice to it. Florida next to last in the SEC, and by the way, some of this may show up in my SEC preview this week. Again, product Ooh. placement. Uh, Florida next to last in the SEC in rushing yards. Only Vanderbilt has fewer. Uh, Florida has thirteen fourteen. Vanderbilt twelve fifty eight. They are. Uh, next to last in passing yards, they have 1707. Arkansas has 1490. So next to last there. They've had 627 total plays on offense. That is third from last. Only Alabama and Kentucky have had fewer. Interesting that Alabama has the fewest plays on offense in the, uh, in the conference. They are last in total yards. They are last in yards per play. They are last in yards per game. Oh, they're consistent. <laughs> yeah, true enough. And, and the bad thing is to look at, at what they've done in conference versus out of conference. In conference, they average over 100 fewer yards a game than they averaged out of conference. That's pretty amazing. I, I can't even – I don't have words for that. And, and, you know, it's like we said before, with Muschamp, it's, it's easy to overlook a lot of this stuff when, you know, you're winning games. But – Three games in October. Now, those three games in October, they played Arkansas, LSU, and Missouri. So, granted, they played pretty good competition. Those three games in October, they averaged 248.7 yards a game. You're not going to win games playing like that. They won one. I mean, they beat Arkansas, but then again, Arkansas is worse than they are. But against Missouri, they had, out of 60 plays... They rushed for 59 yards and passed for 92. They averaged 2.52 yards a play. That's, I mean, that's just a staggeringly low number. Yes. Yes, it is. Do you guys practice? or? 
<laughs> you see, what you do is you take the ball and advance it down the field. Eventually, you'll cross over the end zone. That happens to give you points. Oh. Well, that's an advantage. This is upper, upper class, at the upper level class of Georgia or uh, Florida, whatever matters, <laughs> SEC. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like South Carolina there. I, I don't think it matters whether it's 13 and a half or 130 and a half. Uh, South just, Carolina wins that game. Uh, well, I mean, do you really see Florida scoring more than, like, what, 17? No, I don't see them scoring 13. You know, talking so, 13 and a half, I don't see them scoring 13. So so that makes it a little easier cover than the Gamecocks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Texas Tech, losers of three in a row. They face Baylor on the road. They are 26.5-point dogs to the Bears. I mean, that, that that one has been kind of amazing. You know, we talked last week about the line between Baylor and Oklahoma, and boy, that was just an eye-popping line for Oklahoma to be that big of an underdog. And we said, though, in the end of it, I'm going to take Baylor, in the, and that was the right call. Yeah. And, I mean, they've answered the bell. So, it, I mean, it's tough to not back up week to week when they've been so amazingly impressive. Very true. I like Baylor. I, I don't know about that number. It's a little big, but I, uh, I like Baylor a lot. I, I like that team. In fact... If it came down to it, can you imagine a Florida State-Baylor national championship game? Uh, well, I mean, the thing that you really wonder, though, is, is I mean, if you had to take uh, the defensive units, I mean, Florida State's defense has shown themselves to be pretty good. And, I mean, I would, I would think that Florida State would be able to move the ball more effectively against Baylor's defense than vice versa. Fair enough. Uh, Auburn minus four against Georgia. You know... I mean, they're talk about teams that have been off that fast. I mean, there were some so such amazing highs for for Georgia. I mean, with the win over LSU, and that was such a big moment for Aaron Murray and Mark Richt. And thought, like, well, maybe this is this really is kind of like a, a seminal moment for the program. And then you know, they turn around and lose a few more games, and that, that and all of a sudden it's uh, it's not quite as big a deal, huh? <laughs> well, uh, Aaron Murray's girlfriend is worth four points, so we'll, yeah, we'll you know. Uh, that that apparently has been making the rounds on the internet today. <laughs> the uh, the only thing I'll say about this game, and I'll again, this will probably show up in my SEC piece somewhere. Auburn this year, as a team, has thirty two hundred rushing yards. There are only two other teams in the conference with greater than two thousand. It's it's been amazing what they've been able to do there, and. It, it, what I think, as much as anything, is you can look at the the head coaches uh, that have been at those schools and obviously kind of instant impact more at Auburn than it has been at Baylor with Art Bryles being there for a longer period of time. But just, you know, these innovative offensive coaches have been able to turn entire programs around just in, in just a few years and, and change the dynamic nature of their teams. And it's been kind of amazing to watch just because you see other teams and other schools that end up stuck in the same old rut or a school like Florida that goes in complete reverse under a new coach. Well, it, it goes back to the whole thing about when you see a program that's stuck in, in neutral or reverse and people say, well, we can't afford to fire this coach. In reality, you can't afford not to in a lot of cases. And Gus mm -hmm. Malzahn is living proof of that. Even though he had a, had the experience at Auburn before, look at what he's done just in one year. And when I mean, when Gus Malzahn was his name was being brought up around Mitch Mustaine and, and you know, Arkansas and I mean, all the stuff that was going on there, it was such a weird thing. And, you know, Oh, this is just such an obvious move to get a recruit to a school or something like that. Well, I, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. Guess we were wrong about that one. And uh, by the way, the iron bowl in a couple of weeks, that's uh that's all of a sudden a really hot game. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I hear there's a bit of a rivalry surrounding that one. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't really like each other all that much. Oh, uh, Texas escapes at West Virginia with a victory somehow. They are plus three at home against Oklahoma State. 
and as someone as I think said on Twitter where they were saying that look, you know, Texas beat Oklahoma. Texas has won seven in a row. Said as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and you know both have three losses, and yet Oklahoma is still ahead of Texas in the polls. Yep. <laughs> People don't believe in Texas, man. I mean, they keep doing it with smoke and mirrors. They close the season with Baylor. That's that's their chance to make a statement. I don't have any confidence that they will, but it's their chance to no. do so. No, I just think that obviously firing the defensive coordinator earlier in the year just has made all the difference. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. If you believe that. Uh. Uh, Nebraska plus six and a half against Michigan State in Lincoln. First of all, it's still so weird for me to get my head around the idea that Nebraska is not in the Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Forgive me. We're, we're a couple years into this, and I still am having the hard time going, yeah, why? We, uh, Michigan State, what? Um, you know, and, and the thing is, Michigan State uh, – physical team and obviously with the the way that they were able to take out michigan that was a huge win for them but uh i don't know i mean i think the thing is if you asked any nebraska fan about their confidence about the game they wouldn't say that they have any in this team right now no matter what they've done this year yeah and that's the big factor and people are still talking about bo Pelini might lose his job hilarious well, i mean the fact that the, that a decision wasn't really made, I mean, that it's been handled in the way it has, where it's just sort of been left out there to hang, that seems like a pretty weird way to handle that whole situation and the recording being released. Alabama, a pick'em at Starkville. Roll time, baby! Roll time! Wait a second. Say that again? Alabama, a pick'em at Starkville. At Mississippi State. Alabama. Yes. Like the number one team. Yes, that line might change and probably will, but right now it is straight. Yeah, I feel like there's a joke there that I'm not getting. Are you easy to get down by three touchdowns? <laughs> I bought it down from minus 29 to even. <laughs> Alabama. Yeah. Number one team in the country. Uh, I don't know. I got nothing. At a, at a four and five team. Uh, so something that does make sense a little bit. Stanford minus three and a half at the fight net Orgerons. You know, and USC has played a lot better uh, under him. They I have. Mean, but mainly, they, could they play any worse? <laughs> True. I mean, you know, but at the same time, they're actually scoring some points, and, you know, some of it had to do with Cal's awesome, awesome special teams last week. Uh but still, the fact that this team, with all of the, the high-profile recruits it has and stuff, have had games where they're scoring 19 points against Utah, you know, and uh, I mean, they, they beat Oregon State 31-14, but still, you'd expect that these high-profile offensive recruits would be able to put together a little bit more uh, on talent alone uh, in the way that we, we always reference Florida State doing it for a few years, and... I mean, it just kind of it kind of just makes you shake your head, and I know that the fewer scholarships and everything, but still, I mean, with some of the guys that they get, these are the guys that are supposed to be the special players of college football, and it's just been such an underwhelming year for them, and you just wonder what the heck's going on. Um, so, I mean, with the way the game ended, you, you still don't have the best feeling in the world about Stanford, or you could focus on the first three quarters of football with Stanford and say that was a really impressive football team that just completely imposed its will on Oregon no matter what Oregon had said going into the contest. Uh, I'm going to choose to focus more on the first three quarters of last week's game and take Stanford. Yeah, I like Stanford. This screams 17-9 to 9 to me or something like that. Yeah, what's the over-under? Uh, they, they haven't posted it. Mm. Well, that's good. 
And uh, finally, I'll throw you a bone as we uh, wind down the college portion of the the program, and then we'll rush through the NFL games. Uh, San Diego State minus four and a half on the Big Island. I don't get it. Hawaii is a terrible <laughs> team. They're 0 and 9, and I understand traveling to Hawaii has been known to have an effect on some people. But sure. Hawaii is terrible. Hawaii is just awful. I mean, even if you just look at the scores, um, th- there's nothing to suggest that they're going to cover four here. The other thing is San Diego State is coming off a huge comeback win against San Jose State, uh, which was was a really strange game. Uh, lots of missed kicks for the Aztecs as they have absolutely no kicking game this year, uh, and there's no certainty that they can make an extra point, seriously. So uh, you just, I, I just don't see where this is going to be a good spot. Um for Hawaii. And I mean, they're, they're, you know, they lost by five to Fresno state at Aloha stadium. So I guess that's probably what it's going off of, you know? Yeah. Uh, time to, uh, fire kicking coach Abel Perez out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they only lost by seven to Colorado state on homecoming. And those are the, you know, those are the home games where they've lost, you know, they lost by 17 to USC. They lost by 10 to San Jose state. They lost by uh, five to Fresno state. And then they lost by seven to Colorado state. They're still just a really bad team. Quickly, we'll go through some NFL games. We'll try to take about five minutes on these uh, NFL games, but we'll we'll go through them briefly. Uh, the Colts minus two and a half at the Titans with no Jake Locker. Man, you know, you would think that that would be an easy pick towards the Colts at the same time after watching them get completely throttled by the Rams. You just wonder what's going on. Uh, and also, boy, that Trent Richardson trade uh, makes the Browns look smarter and smarter by the game, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> but at the same time, the Titans just lost to the Jaguars. <laughs> yeah, I like the Colts in, in an ugly game, probably, as most mm-hmm. Thursday night games are. Uh, the Lions only minus one at the Steelers. And that's a, I mean, that's a strange line. It, it's like they're they're taking the logic of a dome team doesn't play well outside of a dome uh, to extremes there. Pittsburgh is really not very good. They're just not, they're not very good either. They don't score a lot. Uh, the Lions, you know, have a better offense uh, than the Steelers do. And I mean, coming off the big win against Chicago, I would, I would think this, this game would be good for the Lions. I, it's a, it's one of those lines that gives you such pause that you're going like, what's the catch? Speaking of what's the catch, uh, Chargers minus one at Miami. The cross country trip. I'm guessing, I, I don't remember off the top of my head if it's a 10 o'clock kick it west is. coast time it is all right well in those games those are always difficult but still miami is just such a disaster right now <laughs> i mean you're missing obviously two of your starting offensive linemen uh and then on top of that there's just all of the other issues going on around that team like them not being very good or mike wallace not fitting into their offense at all <laughs> uh you know but other than that i mean it's going really well a running game i mean included you know six carries for i think five yards for lamar miller as their leading rusher in attempts <laughs> Yeah, those of us who haven't been fantasy teams, we, we know all about that. Yep. So, I mean, you'd think that that would scream Chargers, but again, you know that it's it's that low for a reason. The uh, the Jaguars were double-digit dogs just a couple of weeks ago. Now they're only a six-and-a-half-point dog at home against Arizona. Again, you got a team from the West Coast traveling east. and um, Yeah, they're coming off in confidence, so they're a first win, Brian. But still, yeah. you, you, I'm going to go ahead and play the odds and, and take Arizona on this one. Chiefs plus nine and a half at Denver. You know, there's been a lot of talk out there that that the Chiefs, like this is where the Chiefs kind of make their big statement, like they're for real. Right. You know, because if you look at their schedule still, they've caught teams at good times. They've played a lot of their tougher games at home, all those kinds of things. And I just don't trust 
Alex Smith and company to make enough plays to keep pace with Peyton Manning. And I know that he's got the bad ankle and everything right now, but still, uh, this just, I, I just, I, despite the fact that the Chiefs are undefeated, I've still been waiting for them to be not exposed, but just people to be reminded of the fact that they still do have flaws. Yeah, if this were week 13 in Arrowhead, I'd feel a lot better about Kansas City. That that line is still a little big, but I, I like Denver a lot better at Mile High at Invesco, Peyton Manning Stadium, or whatever it is they're calling it these days. Right. You know, and uh, I mean, obviously Peyton Manning's ankle, an- ankle or ankle, whatever, <laughs> is a factor. But, you know, he, part of his genius is the way that he's able to, you know, change things to the line of scrimmage to account for pressure and protections and all of that, too. So, um uh, you know, unless Donald Brown is blocking for him at running back again, I think it'll be all right. Three more games we'll bust through real quick. And by the way, catch the uh, Donald Brown thing on YouTube sometime if you, uh, if you awesome. ever feel inclined. Uh, 49ers plus three and a half at New Orleans. You know, that the that Niners performance against the Panthers was just a, a head scratcher, wasn't it? I mean, I think that we both can agree that the Panthers have a very good defense, especially the front seven, and the Niners right. want to run the ball. And, you know, they have problems with the passing game and so on and so forth. But that was kind of amazing to get held to that kind of output at home. Uh, yeah, and in fact, that was one of those things where you were just talking about statement games. That was Carolina's statement game, and a lot of people were sure they were going to fall flat on their face. They didn't, but for Carolina to do that to the 49ers, that gives them a lot more legitimacy than it does beating the Giants or whomever. So, right. uh, you know, just, again, nothing to, uh, to slight the Niners. They're, they just happened to run into a buzzsaw. I hate that term, but they did. And uh, I, I like their matchup a lot better against the Saints than I did against Carolina. Here's the thing, though, that I would say about this. This is that, you know, the Niners under under Jim Harbaugh have always bounced back quickly to whatever setbacks come their way. Right. Uh, seemingly, be it injuries, be it something else. And I just have a hard time seeing them put together another performance like that. Next to last game, the Fighting Scott Tolzines, the Green Bay Packers, plus six at New York on Sunday. <laughs> Isn't that just a, the weirdest line you could possibly imagine? Yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, any of us who own, own, own Packers wide receivers in fantasy leagues, I mean, talk, talk about feeling a little uncomfortable with your purchase now. Yeah, over under 43 in that game, by the way. <sighs> Yikes. You know, and the idea that the Giants are going to be favored by six against anyone after the start that they had is just, you know. Well, one one interesting tidbit, and again, we're not spending too much time on this, but I just wanted to bring it up. Somebody had mentioned earlier today they had uh, actual footage of John Connor blocking as they went back to the to the dual back formation to the I formation that they were employing with Henry Hynoski before he got hurt. And Connor was clearing holes for Andre Brown. He had 30 carries, as you mentioned earlier today, and all of a sudden now becomes the number one waiver pickup for a lot of people, uh, you know, present company included. And it's just weird how the Giants completely lost who they were for all that time, and now they, they bring back a, a no-name fullback and a guy who's coming off of IR, and now all of a sudden they're a power running team again. Well, I mean, at the same time, he took 30 carries to get to 115 yards. Well, sure. I mean, let's, let's, let's not go too crazy about this. He had a nice day from a fantasy perspective, uh, and they won the game, and that's all well and good. But, uh, you know, the idea that, that they're a power-running team again, when, you know, you're not exactly churning out your best yards per carry, it seems like. And uh, finally, the Monday nighter, Carolina a one-point favorite against New England. 
that's going to be a really interesting game, and it's going to be a Monday night game that like, I don't know. It's kind of makes up for the fact that any or for makes it up for anyone who actually decided to sit through Tampa Bay Miami. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> oh. A couple plays of that were enough for me to just like, you know, we're, let's watch something else. We're good. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, you know that's that's all of the stuff that that I think you know we've wanted to see with the Panthers is. is uh, you know, taking on these big name teams, it's tough to do it two weeks in a row. It's tough to do it after playing a West Coast game the week before. Um, you know, you get the extra day of preparation though to try to offset some of that stuff. But for all the talk about the the Panthers front seven, um, you know, with the way that the Patriots exploded in the last game before the bye at home, that's where people started to say, "All right, is Tom Brady finally hitting stride with his receiving core?" Um, I mean, does Carolina have enough on the back end of their defense? in order to defend the Patriots, or will it not matter because they're getting enough pressure with four guys right now? Yeah, see, that's the thing. You have Greg Hardy and Charles Johnson on that defensive line along with the interior tackles, but if you can get Hardy up the field as he has been, Hardy was in Colin Kaepernick's face all day on Sunday, and if Hardy can get past the blocking schemes that the Patriots will clearly implement on him, uh, he, he he's one of the quicker defenders that they'll face all year, and uh, Brady's going to have to account for him. There's There's no... Uh, you know, comfortable pocket for him like there is against a lot of AFC East teams that he'll face. Uh, the, to me, the biggest thing, though, about Carolina, they've been carried by their offense over the last few weeks. I mean, Cam Newton is, has, you know, found himself again. Uh, the running game, strangely, has kind of uh, had a little bit of a resurgence. D'Angelo Williams has become a useful part again. But to see them last week where they had an outing where Cam Newton didn't clearly didn't have his fastball, and, uh, you know, the receivers couldn't shake loose. They couldn't catch passes. The running game was stuffed, and they still won the game anyway. That's got to be big for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but playing those big games like that two weeks in a row. Yeah, true. I mean, that's tough. It just seems like it's the kind of game where New England wins because, you know, it's easy for people to talk up their opponent and all the stuff that Carolina has been doing well. And it's the kind of game where New England could end up, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like they, I mean, even the game in Atlanta earlier this year, where people didn't think that Atlanta was nearly as bad as they are or have been, so it was viewed as this big win by the Patriots, and people thought Atlanta was going to be able to win that game. There's a lot of times where that happens. It seems like in the primetime games, especially where the Patriots end up winning games that you don't necessarily expect, or you kind of start to write them off. But I mean, that's been that's been their whole story ever since Belichick took took over, perennially believing that no one believes in them. The hilarious thing, by the way, and I'll, I'll let this be the last note. Uh, if New England or if if New England loses to Carolina and New Orleans loses to the 49ers on on Sunday, Carolina's tied for first place. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, that's that's kind of amazing. I mean, I you know, <laughs> we we both looked at that week 1 game against the Seahawks and saw it as ugly and low scoring and just like, man, you know, that says a lot about the Seahawks not being as good as we thought and you know, the Panthers are tough to watch and it's like, okay, apparently those are just two pretty good physical defenses. And on that note, it's time to uh, end, as we mentioned, the quickest edition of Sports Matters we've had in a long time. But uh, we managed to pack a lot in the program. So we'll, uh, we'll let you enjoy your weekend of football and basketball, whatever it, else, whatever it is that you choose to do, whatever it else is you choose to do, whatever. <laughs> Germans, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's, it's been three hours. Don't mind us. Uh-huh. So <laughs> for Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. We'll see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Uh, two weeks after this coming weekend. Two weeks left of college football in the regular season. Then we start to get in, into championship games and everything else. We'll have a lot to talk to you about next week. But until next week, be
Be good, be good, be kind, be safe. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. Same time, same channel. This has been Sports Matters. <laughs>